0: We are live from the Empire of Lies, and just outside the Matrix. It's time once again for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is The Backstory. And say hello to Rod, our producer. Hey, Rod, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Lee, by yourself.
0: Sorry to kiss you by surprise, Rod, but uh, I'm doing fine. So, we've got a great show today. In the first hour, we got Jamal Thomas. And, you know, can you guess what topic will come up
1: for sure with Jamal? Just guess. Uh, can I guess for sure? It would have to be uh, Twitter? No, UFOs.
0: Oh, okay. But close, close. And then a great guest who we haven't had on in a while. He was on the George Galloway show I saw. Did you see that this past weekend, Caleb was there?
1: No, I know you told me about it, but I didn't get to see it myself.
0: So Caleb Muffin, former RT correspondent, multi-book author, and very, very smart guy. Caleb Muffin was joining us. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Rod, do the boom.
1: You're listening to The Backstory.
0: I like the garbage out there, Rod. Rod leaned into the the microphone, obviously. And it got serious at that point. But so, Rod, I got a question for you. Do you think a lot of our... I I can name a couple, Ingrid and Brave for sure. I think a good deal of our listeners listen to Sputnik more or less all day. In fact, there's a number of people... Well, I can see they listen. Tariff qualifies. Who listen to fall lines in the morning, and then political misfits? You know, they don't. They don't click around the 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 dial. They don't listen to MSNBC in the morning, and then Fox News, and then they switch over to us. Do you think a lot of our listeners listen to the full programming lineup? Putnick, Rod.
1: I think there's a number of uh, there's a number of them. that listen to the different uh, lineup of shows, because uh, you know no one show is that similar to the next. You know, even though we're on the same station, we've got different viewpoints and different sometimes different guests that don't appear on the other shows. So, uh, but I think there's a few that do listen to all all of the shows on on the station.
0: And so, 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 I think so too, and. For that reason, you heard the last 10 minutes of By Any Means Necessary today, right? Correct. Because people don't know, if you don't know, the technicalities of radio. Rod and I listened the last 10 minutes because our engineer calls us about 10 minutes before the show starts, and By Any Means is on. So what we're listening to for the final 10 minutes is – by any means, while we're waiting to go on the air with this show, right, Rod? People right, don't think right. we're right. And did you hear them talking briefly about the Elon Musk cartoon that he tweeted today, the stick figure cartoon?
1: Yeah, I did hear them talking about that. And that was, uh, it was kind of, uh, I will guess you would say enlightening to see how people on the left. See the woke spectrum.
0: Well, so here's what I'll say. Not all people on the left because and you know, what I mean, we've had plenty of guests on the left. Ted Rall, for instance, who was against somebody means he's as left as you can get. He's a bona fide leftist. Right. I mean, is there any doubt? That he's a leftist.
1: No, 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 and and uh, just that. But uh, but it just goes along with what uh, what they were talking about. That you know, that woke people who uh, associate say, associate themselves with woke and left. It, there's a there's a fight between that. You know, there's an infighting between that.
0: There is, but but the my by any means section. They don't acknowledge the fight. They don't acknowledge that you can be on the left and disagree with the woke
1: ideology. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah, that's why I said it was. It was enlightening to hear that they didn't, you know, they didn't really, they didn't really go along with the joke because, you know, I know somebody like Ted probably, probably laughed at it because he he knows what that means. But uh, it was good. It was enlightening to see they don't agree with it.
0: Well, do me a favor, Rod. Describe the this Elon Musk cartoon for the radio audience. You know, if you were describing to someone who hadn't seen it at all, what was the point of this? Stick figure cartoon that Elon Musk tweeted out.
1: Um, I guess he was pretty much letting it, letting people know that, like, uh, he up to me and how I took it. He was he was saying that you know he agrees with some of the left, but he's it's gone way too far, and that it's just it's just not tenable how you know woke and you know everything's racist, sexist. You know, you put a ism on it, and it's a part of the woke ideology that. You know, nothing. Yeah, Gr-
0: well, Glenn Greenwald, perfect example. You have you heard Glenn Greenwald called right wing?
1: Yeah, the, um, the the woman from the Washington Post, Taylor Lorenz, described him as a right wing figure.
0: Right. For instance, and some might describe Galloway or even Ted Rall. A lot of people who are on the left, clearly on the left. And by many means, some of them are socialists. That's, you're on the left. When people who are clearly on the left are labeled as right-wing. So Elon had, there were kind of, not panels, but I'll call it three parts. One showed a left-right spectrum and Elon in the middle And saying, this is a center. And I, I think he meant it to be him. He's saying, here's the center back in the day, a few years ago. And then the left moves out a little more left. And then the left moves out a lot left into wokeism. And here's the thing I will say about that. I've said that there's a split in the left. Some of the people who are woke, clearly, in other words, Sean Blackman goes to so by any means necessary. is he on the left?
1: Oh yeah no, I would definitely he, I mean he says he's on the left if you listen to his show so he 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 puts it out there
0: right he 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 is I'm not questioning his leftist cred. now I could say that he is apparently contradicting Marx by making it Primarily about identity politics as opposed to class politics, and that's what people like George Galloway and Ted Rawls say. Do we have a clip? Uh, wait, we don't have any clips yet. Second se- okay. second hour. Okay, but I'm I'm not questioning Sean Blackman's leftist credentials by saying he agrees with the woke ideology. Because he clearly does. He clearly agrees with the woke ideology. But I don't think you're not a leftist if you don't agree with it. And there's a weird contradiction. While the left, and by the left, I don't mean, I mean, broadly in this country, the people who are not on the right, Democrats, you can't call them on the right. The people who are simultaneously have become more woke and, at the same time, more establishment. The Democratic Party, let's just pick them. The Democratic Party, is there any doubt that they have paid a lot of lip service and a lot of policy to the woke movement?
1: Oh, no, without without a, without a doubt. That, that is their... That is their platform now, uh, the Woke is front and center, and they put it out there. Um, we just, uh, probably tomorrow we'll have it, but uh, we just had the head of DHS, uh, Mayorkas, talking about where he agrees with amnesty for all uh, illegal aliens because it'll be easier on the immigration system, and uh, that's, you know, open borders is a part of the Woke ideology. Nobody's uh, legal.
0: Uh, agreed. So uh, simultaneously, we've had two things. The Democrats have become more woke, and this is explicit and it's clear, but the Democrats have also become more cravenly paying fealty to the establishment. Have you noticed that? They now love the CIA. They love the FBI. When the CIA and the FBI were going after Trump, they sang their praises on Saturday Night Live skits and so on. It's an interesting thing that they are simultaneously more woke, and I think that's unquestionable, but Democrats are also more pro-establishment and more pro-war.
1: Hey, hey, Lee, um, we, we do have the clips ready, and uh, just to go along with what you're talking about um- – you know, the title of today is that the, the the Biden administration sets up the Ministry of Truth, and the head of it, of the uh, disinformation board, is this woman named Nina Jankowitz, I believe that's how I pronounce her name, and we have a clip of her talking about uh, color revolutions, but if you listen – I don't know if you've heard this clip or seen it, but she she, she uh, talks about color revolutions as a good thing.
0: No, I haven't heard. How long is this clip, Rod? I think
1: it's like a minute and a half.
0: Okay. I'm going to step away for the microphone uh, while this clip's playing, I'll signal when I'm back, but if, if I don't say something, you pick it up after the clip, okay? Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Okay, let's play it.
2: First of all, color revolutions have nothing to do with race. The term was coined in the early 2000s when countries like the Republic of Georgia and Ukraine had spontaneous, peaceful, democratic revolutions that had colorful nicknames. In 2003, the Georgian opposition protested the opening of a new session of parliament based on fraudulent election results. They did it while carrying roses, hence the Rose Revolution. In 2004 and 2005, Ukrainians protested their own rigged election. Candidate Viktor Yushchenko's campaign branding was orange, hence the Orange Revolution. You get the idea. Color revolutions have earned a bad rap, though, mostly thanks to Vladimir Putin, because they brought in democratically minded governments that threatened Russian influence in the region. Putin likes to suggest they are CIA organized. That is not true. Believe it or not, sometimes people get fed up with having their voices silenced for decades. Putin's narratives intentionally run protesters of agency. They discount the grievances that brought them to the streets, risking their lives, and ultimately they undermine the resulting governments. And now we're seeing the same narrative cropping up here in the United States. Here's why it doesn't fit. First of all, in case we've forgotten, protest is a democratic right. You are entitled to it no matter your opinion. Second of all, color revolutions happen in autocracies when people are fed up with the indignities of an entrenched regime. While we have witnessed some democratic backsliding here in the United States, We are not an autocracy. We still have checks and balances. We still enjoy democratic rights. Certainly, we are not Georgia in 2003, Ukraine in 2004, or Belarus today. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, these events usually happen in response to a rigged election. Even today, we should still have the confidence that our votes will be counted fairly and accurately.
0: That confidence, by the way, young lady. Now... This actually picks up on her saying that the US is not an autocracy, or that these here's a weird contradiction of what she said. She's saying protests are a sign of autocracy. Well, make up your mind. Aren't protests a sign of freedom? That they have some freedom to protest? Color revolutions, what they do is they take things that may be legitimate grievances. For instance, against corruption. A lot of what was going on in 2014 in the Madan was against the corruption that's rampant in Ukraine. And they're also against their poverty. And they were blaming that on the fact that they weren't as close to Europe. They thought that Being aligned with Europe, because it's the Euromadon, would bring them wealth. Then what they do is through propaganda, through U.S. CIA-driven propaganda, they take the legitimate grievances and they add a layer on of, in this case, Nazis. So the people with the legitimate grievances are out there. And they're protesting, but then they take over the protests and they change the messaging and they make it more violent. Now, I was saying before we went to break there with a clip that, Rod, what do you – first off, do you see what I'm saying is the contradiction? The contradiction is the, the woke people that supposedly anti-establishment end up supporting the establishment – do you see that?
1: Yeah, I think that was the perfect example. She, she said that the CIA is not a part of color revolution. She was pretty much defending the CIA and, you know, they're great. They're lovely. Um, so that was that goes along with what you were talking about, that they've become a part of the establishment, that the CIA, FBI, they do no wrong. So I agree with you on that.
0: Well, and let's let's just put a small reminder in about a year ago. I think it was a year ago. It could have been nine months the CIA ran their woke recruitment ad taking on Black Lives Matter messaging in a CIA recruitment video. Remember that?
1: Yeah, the, the, uh, the Spanish woman who, something about her sexuality, and she had some type of uh, anxiety disorder as well. Yeah, I remember that.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. It was bizarre. Now, what I see unites the two and makes the contradiction less contradictory is both the woke ideology and the establishment war machine ideology agree on one thing. They agree on authoritarianism, statism to achieve their results. Right. They don't want freedom to achieve their results. They want to force people to achieve the results. And the woke people feel they can do this through protests. They use protests as their means. And I put this out before. I covered protests when I was at Breitbart for a couple of years. And I did every May Day protest and everything else. The way these protests work, and anybody who's on the left out there has seen this, the way the protests work. Is there's a people up front with their lattes and their children in slings, and so on, right? And they're the peaceful ones that are the majority of the people. Then at the back of the protest comes the black block and they're smashing windows of Starbucks because they don't want to interrupt the front of the line from getting their Starbucks. But what they do is they add the violent elements to it. And that's exactly what they did in the Irmidan. They had peaceful protesters out there to show numbers and also to say, look, these people have legitimate grievances. Oh look, look at them. They're they're nice. They have children's slings and lattes. And then the protest turns dark when The black bloc starts showing up and smashing windows and everything else. I saw this at protests after protests in the U.S. Violent people in back, peaceful people in front. And anybody who's been to protests knows exactly what I'm talking about. And the way this is uh, policed in the protest movement is through something that organizers of these protests called diversity of tactics diversity of tactics means you you should be okay with people peaceful protesting but also you should be okay with people getting diverse and smashing windows or something and you can't rat them out or tell who they are or anything if you're a peaceful protester, you have to be tolerant of the diversity of tactics and say, you know what? They're on our side, so it's okay if they smash windows, or it's okay to use the creating example if they're Nazis or whatever. It allows people to accept the tactics and extreme ideology of these people because— the woke ideology, and getting back to Elon Musk cartoon, then he shows that it's gone more extreme. So, uh, and I'll give a practical example. Elon Musk yep. strikes me as someone not homophobic, for instance. I have no reason to think he is, but the definition of homophobic changed. I would be shocked if Elon Musk a few years ago, was not in favor of gay marriage. Pretty much everyone I knew was in favor of some form of acknowledging gay relationships legally. Do you know what I mean? Rod, did you hear many people saying, no, no, no. If they're dying in the hospital, don't let their partners visit. Some some people were saying, don't call it marriage.
1: Yeah, no, I did. I did. I did uh, hear that argument of uh, instead of a marriage called a civil union or some type of union. And so I, I did hear that fight. And a lot of people, you know, uh, but not anything where, like, like you said, if somebody's dying or no, don't let them see their partner or their or, the, uh, or their loved one. So, no. And uh, just to let you know, we got a uh, killer on the line.
0: OK, so let's. 521 uh, let's go to Owl Killer. And uh, Rod was again stepping away. So, Owl Killer, go ahead. So, for that demented person
3: that was reading and saying how the CIA does not fund color revolutions, for everybody that does not know, anytime you hear State Department, that's really CIA. So, every anytime you see the State Department showing up somewhere, that's what they're doing when they're especially with these, and then the fronts with the NGOs, is that's the other thing because you can't justify. Uh, overt, uh, government spending. So you fund the money through an NGO that that's how that game works. Um, when you, when you, you know, you'll also, you talk about Glenn Greenwald, but I th- another person that you're hearing being mentioned as far right is Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan has been in favor of stuff like gay marriage forever before it was even popular. He was in favor. He's, he's even in favor of, um, universal basic income. But but you you are one hundred percent correct. Where there is a strong divide that people are just now seeing um, uh, on the left, where there's people that okay, this has gone too far. You know, we're for being accepting and you know helping people out that need help. But the woke ideology is just eating itself. Um, I I do I do think that when you're when you talk about how they are able to get um, people on the left to actually support um, the establishment. It's because legitimately, like, e- even with Black Lives Matter, they have legitimate grievances. You know, people that want their tuition um, uh, paid off, they have legitimate grievances. People that are out of work have grievances. But what they do is they redirect the anger on the policies onto um, people that had nothing to do with it. And that's that's where they've been successful and you know, rather than people, you know, um, you know, Occupy Wall Street, I think was something that the I, there was some there was legitimate grievances with the big banks that have been they, they get bailed out and everybody else gets stuck with the bill. Um, what they what they're successful at doing is they're successful at pitting us against each other, rather than us saying that hey. We we don't all have to agree, but we do have a common enemy, which is the globe which is this globalist ideology, the woke ideology, and we need this. This country needs to come together. That's uh, pretty much what I wanted to get, to get off my mind.
0: Well, Killer. So first off, I agree with you, and I think part of this is an attempt, a clear attempt by the establishment to pit, you know, a circular firing squad to help. The woke people uh, attack the the traditional Marxists. I, I think part of it is they're laughing when, you know, they see Glenn Greenwald called right wing, which is a mark of poison. And it was just saying, don't listen to Glenn, 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 Glenn Greenwald. And Glenn Greenwald is obviously an anti-war, articulate, Good journalists, and he's right wing. And by defining him as right wing, they say you shouldn't listen to him. So you agree, Al Keller?
3: Uh, uh, exactly. So it's like if some, and they do it in the reverse too, where you can't listen to him because he's because he's supposedly right wing. Anything, anybody, they the way they suck people into agreeing with everything. Is they say something that you agree with, and then they make they recruit you, they like suck you in, and you you have to agree with everything they say at the same time. They do it the, the same way they try to make you not listen to somebody, then they, they make you subscribe to their whole ideology because you agree with one thing they say, or maybe two issues. So that's I've noticed a lot of that too. They're very good at better than the right.
0: It's why I, it's why I think they'll they go after people like Rand Paul or Tucker Carlson, you've heard those guys. Rand Paul or Tucker Carlson are anti-war, broadly, and I think reasonable people. In other words, they're not uh, the equivalent of Jesse Helms in the 80s, of somebody who's an extreme right-winger and likely has a lot of views that moderate people wouldn't agree with. But the reason they hate Tucker and the reason they hate Rand Paul is because they actually do say a lot of things that people on the left might agree with. Do you agree?
3: Absolutely. But I I think that they hate Tucker even more because he is – it's either him or his writers, but whoever is doing it, he exposes them. It's – the way he exposes them and makes them look like fools – they can't have somebody like that being seen by everybody because it's like, oh, that makes sense, too. Uh, you know, that that is right. And then then you see, oh, Tucker Carlson is I mean, look, look at the people. They. I mean, majority of the Republicans won't even go on his show because he's anti-war.
0: Right. And, and, and he has a book out, a book that's named after a Grateful Dead song, by the way, ideally. Hey, now uh, he has a book called Ship of Fools because Tucker's it edited it as I pointed out, and he used to, when he went to prep school, he used to trip, so file that away for a reference, but Turker Carlson has a book called Ship of Fools, and it talks about, he grew up in Northern California, and he grew up in a fairly liberal background, but when liberal didn't mean aggressively, you know, aggressive, it meant You know, he talked about how they used to do crafts in school and that kind of thing. And the reason they're going after Tucker is because he's somebody who might agree. I think he has people like – I honestly think this. The reason Tucker has people like Glenn Glenn Greenwald on or Tulsi Gabbard on is because he doesn't agree with them on everything. I mentioned my friendship with Andrew Breitbart. Andrew liked the fact that I was a Democrat. He liked having a Democrat friend, and that's largely dead. And I think the negative side about the Trump people, the MAGA people, is a lot of them got less open-minded about don't be don't be open-minded about d- Democrats, establishment Democrats. Stay close-minded about them, but be open-minded about people who are concerned about issues like homelessness or hunger or, you know, uh, health care. There's no solution on the right for those things and is not strictly – I don't agree that communist solution would be the best one. I don't agree with socialism, but I, I'd rather have a discussion and make the argument than scare people into even listening to them. Now, coming up with Jamal Thomas, and we'll be talking about the money going to Ukraine and also UFOs, not that the money's going on UFOs. But we'll take a two minute break here, double break, then we'll come back on the backstory. on 105.5 FM, AM 1390, with the Backstory. Joining us now, co-host of Fault Lines in the morning, Jamal Thomas. Hey, Jamal, how you doing?
4: I'm doing all right. How's it going, my man? Doing okay today?
0: Okay. Yeah, No. Yeah. yeah I'm so-so. But uh, but it's something yeah. you did. I'm just... Well, I hope, hope know, I did so let me ask you uh, a question. It's cultural. Did you? You're you're noted as the UFO expert on the station, and you do know a lot about that. What did you think yes. of the film, the Steven Spielberg film, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Speaking as not from a film critic view. But from a uh-huh. ufologist view, what did you think of that film?
4: I thought it was a great film. Because if you notice, like, the people in the film didn't act um, – I'm trying to think of an example. Like, sometimes it's cartoonish. And all things being equal, I would hope. Like, for example, let's say Independence Day. And so it's like, OK, there's a ship the size of a what? Like a fourth of the moon and it's getting close to Earth. And but the human, the plucky scientists plug in their laptops into the alien craft so they can do it. It's like, all right, dude, just stop. Just stop. Like, as opposed to this kind of thoughtful film where these two groups are trying to make contact somehow, even though there's this kind of radical difference between these groups. No, I love that. I thought it was good. I thought it was quite good.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind had a lot of UFOlogists even in it. Uh, for right. instance, uh, Hayek, uh, I think, played one yeah. of the— Yeah, Hayek, yeah. He was an Alan Hayek. You know, right, right. He's a UFOlogist, and he was one of the people who met the ship when it landed on Devil's Tower— And and is in the film. And he, of course, did a lot of work exposing Project Blue Book, correct?
4: Yeah, yes, yeah. Because, you know, the Project Blue Book thing, when he initially, in real life, yeah. Because initially, he was hired to kind of go through and say, okay, which of these cases are bogus or which of these are real. But what he realized was that they didn't really want to know what was real. They just wanted to basically make everything bogus so they can kind of scuttle the issue. And so when he came out of that, he became one of the critics of Blue Book himself. And he actually ended up being an investigator himself. So he basically saw enough at the place where they were basically trying to discredit the story for him to go out and get involved into UFO hunting.
0: And one of the, the, the things in the plot of that film was the government was trying to cover up the UFO ship landing, they they mm-hmm. went so far as to fake a chemical attack or accident near Devil's Tower. Remember, all the sheep <laughs> were passed out. Yeah, and there that that was the government trying to cover up what was going on, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, go for now, it. now I thought another interesting point was that. When the ship landed, some people got off the ship, and they include people from Flight 19, if I'm correct. And they flight 19, greeted I don't remember the exact flight. They, they they were they were a bunch of 1940s dressed uh, pilots mm. who were getting off the ship, and they're welcoming them back, and saying, "You know, we want to debrief you." on what happened because they people have been taken up by the ufo or whatever and Uh then they were back and here's my analogy i've said all this to say this elon musk taking over it's going to be like people who've been picked up by ufos reappear what i'm saying is a lot of these accounts I You thought they were gone forever Like nothing's ever going to bring them back But do you see that analogy? A I weird do see experience. that
4: of a finger Yeah It's like they were basically abducted They were evaporated Yes. And then all of a sudden, here they are Oh wow, that, that person came back Hey dude, we have to debrief you Where were you? What happened when you were gone? Yeah it's like their their electronic persona <laughs> went up in smoke all of a sudden. It just were vanished, um, and then all of a sudden and they look, came back. You think Trump- oh, go it, ahead. I'm sorry. Have we
0: have have we any word on, on Garland? By either, is there an update on that? Anyone? Rod? I haven't
4: seen. I don't know. I haven't seen that one. Um, whether or not they've let him back on
1: yet. Yeah, his 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 account's back. Okay. Good. Oh, good.
0: Good. Garland Nixon had been under abduction. But he got let out early. So we're glad Garland Nixon is back. But but some of the people who've been abducted are news people. For instance, uh, you know, who, who normally would cover stories, whether it's James O'Keefe or whoever, they, they've not been al- allowed up there. Scott Ritter, I talked to him about this the other day. He's been abducted. Yeah. Scott Ritter is gone. Yes, he has. And he has a lot of valuable stuff to say about this war, right?
4: That's right. Scott Ritter has been amazing. Been the voice of reason and truth. That's what I call him. Because Scott, you know, when he's given his military analysis, he is always overconfident. Like he's always extremely confident in whatever Scott says. But it just so happened he's been right. In fact, he's been right – most through this conflict, I mean, even there's some things that he has said where I'm like, oh, God, I hope that's not true. Like it's it's too provocative and so forth. But oftentimes, Scott has end up being more right than that. So,
0: yes, no, no, yeah. I agree completely. Now, what do you think? Speaking of which, let's turn to headlines today. Joe Biden mm-hmm. said the Biden administration wants to get 32 or 33. I assume 32 and change billion dollars to ukraine right away what do you think about that
4: think about that for the moment like you we're in dc you used to be in dc and as you're anybody who's been in dc or for the matter california or some of these other states know homeless people are all over the place like all over the place and again this is taking place in the context of all of this inflation and everything else these guys are basically going through all of these geopolitical machinations. For what? For Ukraine? And it's like, why do we need, it's like, is Ukraine worth that much? Think of the amount of money. That means we're sending billions and billions of dollars, what, two, three hundred billion dollars, if not more, to Ukraine at this point, as if we don't have our own problems here. And all of the stuff that's taking place, all of the inflation, all of the increase in food costs, meaning all of these things are going to hit the people at the bottom, that much more so, not just in the United States, but in Europe. And these guys are doing all of this stuff, and it's going to have all of these detrimental consequences to the people right here in the United States. And look, he's trying to say it's Putin's fault. Putin did this, Putin did that. And so not only are we detracting and taking money away from the population itself, we're also giving money on top of it in order to propagate a conflict to make the other situation, that inflation and everything else, that much worse. Yeah, it's horrendous. And you would hope that you had like a newspaper. They'll come on and say, hey, should we really be spending this much money? And what are the real consequences of this? And that's just that. How do we even get here in the first place to end up in a situation where that war is taking place? But that's too much like right. that's too
0: much. Like those right. are all good questions. Let me ask you another question. Is it going to make any freaking difference whatsoever? This money going to weapons, no. is that going to help Ukraine defeat Russia?
4: Of course not, of course, and I don't believe for a moment that any of them believe that it is. I don't believe for a moment. I think in their heads, all right, the war has started. We've been able to get these kind of economic consequences, so we got that. Ukraine is going to lose it, but let's trust try to get as much of a pound of flesh out of the fact they're gonna lose it. It's that part. Basically, fighting to the last dead Ukrainians. Like, hey, there's an Ukrainian over there, he's 16 years old, put a gun in his hand, put a gun in his hand, let's let's send him out there. I mean, it's that, let's be clear what that is. None of these guys believe that Ukraine is gonna win this war. And to make it even worse, when these guys are sending heavy weapons, okay, How many weapons are you going to send? What type of weapons are you going to send? Is it something that requires training? If it does require training, how long does that training take? And you have the situation now where Russia is basically going after infrastructure like train stations or whatnot, something they weren't doing before. But now that the political calculus or the military calculus has changed because they're sending all of these weapons and these heavier weapons that can maybe even potentially hit within Russia itself. Well, they started going after certain infrastructure that would allow them to transport those weapons. So then the secondary question or another question, how do those weapons get to the area of conflict in the Donbass region when you don't have the infrastructure, you need even get it there anymore? Yeah, it's almost on some of the stuff is domestic consumption. Let's be clear what it is. But ultimately, we are one degree of separation away with the country given these guys weapons to go and kill and murder Russians. I mean, we need to like the gravity of that can't be understated. That needs to be fully understood. One degree of separation. And you even get the defense secretary saying our objective in this, our goal, is to basically bleed Russia white. He didn't say it in those terms, but basically saying the exact same thing. I mean, this is really disturbing, to put it mildly. They don't seem to be stopping. And
0: and I'll point out Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister from Russia, came out today in the past 24 hours and said basically that – any attempts to get weapons there will be considered legitimate targets so russia's saying russia's saying we will attack these targets and by the way let me correct one thing i i think i'm right on this so if i'm correcting you and i'm wrong it's a bad correction but i don't think no, no, russia is attacking train stations i think even attacking the rail the train right. stations no, have been right. attacked by you, and and it's important to note the Ukrainians have been attacking the train stations. Yes. So I think I'm yeah. correct no, about that. No, you're right.
4: No, you are right about that. It, that was you're entirely right about that. They it hasn't for all all intents and purposes Russia hasn't necessarily went after infrastructure. There may be hits or something may go awry or something to that effect, but. No, it, all things being equal, their goal is to stop those trains and the transports from getting from point A to point B to deliver weapons to the um, conflict point. Um, and so, and, and yeah, you're like right, the other one
0: And they're clearly going after infrastructure, but not populated infrastructure. Correct. Does that make sense? Correct. Because they clearly been avoiding civilians. So I just want to make that well, distinction. But trying to go after military
4: targets. Yeah, I mean, their main yes. objective was military targets. I mean, at this point, you can even find Western publications that says as much. Russia could decimate the country, but instead they've been moderated in the way that they've been going after um, the conflict. I mean, but let's keep in mind, though, if it's a situation where we're sending weapons and those weapons are going to be used to attack in Russia proper in the way that some of these countries have been egging on. Well, it's like, A, they're not going to win the conflict in the first place. And B, you're creating a situation where Russia gets – that much more belligerent in the process just by definition of what you've been doing in order to kind of keep this process going. Like they're making it that much worse, um, this conflict. I mean, it's, it's, it already feels pointless to me. It's very aggravating to me because if you think about it, Zelensky came out and basically made the point. I think this was Yahoo News. Behind the scenes, they're telling me that I'm not going to be part of NATO. And yet none of them will say it. None of them would say it. None of them would get out there and say, which was basically the main thing that Russia kept saying, well, you won't be a part of NATO. None of them would say it. In fact, they would go out, despite saying that behind the scenes is that Russia doesn't have real security concerns. It's like, are you insane? These people are going to the Solomon Allens right now, the same people who are saying, Well, look, a country, any country as a sovereign nation, those sovereign nations can do whatever they want. If they want to get a lot of weapons and bullets and guns and point those bullets and guns at Russia, then they can do that. They're a sovereign nation. Now, we didn't think that way for Cuba. And even for the Solomon Islands, of course, with, again, independent nation makes a choice for a security pact with China. And what immediately happens? Oh, how dare you do that? How dare you do that? You just get like all of this belligerence with this kind of naked hypocrisy around this stuff. I mean, it's insane. It's entirely insane. It's very aggravating. Like I said, it's very aggravating to me because I keep thinking all of these people are basically dying. And for what? For what? For something they agreed to immediately at the point where all of these people immediately started dying? It's aggravating.
0: And and also Biden's announced he's going to be he wants to set the Department of Homeland Security a way to monitor misinformation on the social media. This yeah. has been the called Ministry the Ministry of, of Truth. truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right, right. <laughs> That's what it is, right? That's exactly what it
4: is. I mean, they call it, what is it? The um, Governance Board or something to that effect. Oh, Disinformation this, this Governance Board or something like that. I mean— Think about it for the moment. All of those stories, the NBC News article, I, I just did this article, I just did this sound video. The NBC News article that came out that basically said the U.S. government had been lying flagrantly and voluminously to the American public over and over again. I mean, I can go through all of it. It's an astonishing thing to read because they're basically saying, yes, the Biden administration has been lying to the American public. Entirely. And here are many of the instances that they've lied to the public. However, they were doing it to get into Putin's head. So that makes it somehow OK. And it's like, but do you carry those lies? Meaning it's one thing for the government to do it. It's another thing for you to basically carry it as if it's a true thing. And that's exactly what they did. So does the new board of disinformation, does the board of disinformation come out and debunk the stories that the government is putting out that's lying? And if they're not, then what are they there for? Then what are they there for? If you're not going to debunk the lies that the government is putting out, and you've already eliminated all of the sources of information that gives an alternative point of view, then what is it there for? It's basically just putting out disinformation.
0: Now let's go from getting in Putin's head to getting in Hunter Biden's pants for a second. Here's (laughs) what I mean by that. And I haven't talked to you about this, Jamal, but where are you on the Hunter Biden laptop? Do you accept it? As legitimate, as
4: true. I accepted that laptop from day one. I accepted it from yes. day one, and I just accepted it from day one. I was one of those people that was outraged that the New York Post was being blocked on Twitter in order to help Joe Biden get elected. Because we used to have um, Miranda Devine, the one who, the woman who wrote "Laptop from Hell." We used to have her yes. all the time, talking about what was in the laptop and all that. And fact of the matter is, like the pictures of you know the the, the M and M's on the penis. Those are salacious, right? Those are more funny than anything else, So him talking to the prosecutor, or him doing crack. No, the issue is the the emails. It's the emails. Like, when they're implicating his dad, who wasn't supposed to know anything about his business dealings, in those business dealings. That's the issue.
0: And and let me point out, do you remember during the debates for the 2020 election, Joe Biden lying about saying, no, that's not legitimate, and blaming it on Russia. You remember that, right? Yes.
4: Oh, yes. Oh, yes.
0: And, you know, and so by I the was- way,
4: you're going to love this. The woman that's running the disinformation governance board, that woman is named Nina Jenkowitz. Nina Jenkiewicz, um wrote a post early on, basically coming out saying that the laptop was Russian disinformation and that Biden had put out that 50 intelligence services, 50 national security services have basically said it was Russian disinformation. That is the person, that person, that crackpot who flagrantly lied in that way and putting out disinformation will be the head executive of that disinformation board.
0: Isn't that great? And part part of what people have been banned from social media is saying that it was a rigged election. A question of the legitimacy of the election. Right, Jamal, you've seen Mm -hmm. that. People have been banned from Twitter for saying they think this is an illegitimate election, right?
4: Yes, they have. Well, people have been banned from Twitter for all sorts of stuff. I mean, even like left-wing articles or left-wing publications.
0: Have you ever heard of one person banned from Twitter for saying the 2016 election was not legitimate?
4: Yes, absolutely.
0: Keep no, mind, no, we have a ban- lot of
4: right-wingers that come on that show.
0: No, no, no. Have you heard anyone banned from Twitter for saying that Donald Trump was not legitimately oh, elected? Oh,
4: I see, I see. Uh, of yeah, course, for, nobody's right. going to ban the percent effort for Trump. Of course, they're not going to say that. It's always acceptable when it's Trump, right? Like, they well, I was think thinking, of all the
0: stories. I, oh, go for it. I was thinking about the accusation that Donald Trump stole the election, because a lot of people still say that, and they were certainly saying it during his mm-hmm. term. But how did they do it? What everyone forgets is the Russians were accused of interfering in the election, right? Mm-hmm. But what were That's they right. accused of doing? They were not accused of faking information against Hillary Clinton. No one doubted that the information that they released about Hillary Clinton WikiLeaks, they, the WikiLeaks release was true. No one said this is false information. They said the Russians assisted WikiLeaks, and there's no proof of that. But the Russians right. assisted WikiLeaks in releasing true information. How weird <laughs> is that?
4: <laughs> yeah, factually true information. Everybody, under, they even accepted it as true. Think about that. And the fact of the matter is if it was able to sway an election based on true information. Now, this isn't something that people are making up. If true and factual information was able to sway an election um, about a particular candidate, maybe that legitimizes the very fact or the very releasing of that information in and of itself.
0: And I don't think that Russia had anything to do with the release of that information. But let me just say, if they did, I don't see the problem. Was releasing true information if it affects, even if it affects an election. If it's true, it's true.
4: Right? I mean, I agree with you that if it's true, it's true, but I wouldn't even concede that far into it. I mean, because the fact of the matter is, what they're trying to say is that Julian Assange had, I guess, like a cutout or some kind of background stuff, but Roger Stone got prosecuted for lying about being that middle person. So if Roger Stone got prosecuted for being the middle person, that means that the middle person didn't exist. Like, I, I don't even concede that much of it.
0: Well, and and also in the Roger Stone story, for instance, I know personally because I know Roger and I was working on the story. The hack had already happened. Guccifer, too, was already taking credit for it. Then I got right. Roger Stone into the story. So I know Roger Stone didn't get into the story until after the hack. So it's oh, impossible. It's impossible that he had anything to do with the hack. I got him into right. the story. And that was when I was writing about Goose War 2. So the hack had already happened. It was after June 15th. So that, that see, prosecution. I yeah. And and I, I know that personally because I'm the one who got. I called Roger He didn't know much about the story. He couldn't have had anything to do with it. And then they used that to prosecute him. But I'm saying that the M.O. seems to me to be pretty clear. The same M.O. in 2016 and 2020. Information comes out that's true, that's damaging to the Democrat running. In 2016, it was Hillary Clinton. In 2020, it was Joe Biden, right? Information comes out, and they try to suppress the information and blame Russia. Right? That's the M.O.
4: Yeah, that's exactly what they did, yeah. That's exactly what they did. I mean, and they did it in both times.
0: Right, and if if you're investigating a crime and you, you find a jewel thief, Who always leaves behind a playing card the ace of spades if you see the ace of spades show up at two different robberies you go this is probably the same guy with same mo
4: that's what i would say that's what i would say yes
0: because you're logical but the democrats do exactly the same mo blame russia and the same thing here and and in both cases Of course the Biden laptop story was true. What I mean by of course is they don't need to be false. They just need to be Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation by putting out the truth. So they still... No, that's... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Jerome.
4: No, I just said that's a good point. No, I was just backing you up, what you were saying.
0: Yeah, and I'm saying it's infuriating... Because the definition, I thought, uh, again, common sense. Wouldn't you think if something's called disinformation, that's not true?
4: Usually, yes. That's what I would think. That's what a rational person would think, yes.
0: But consistently, what they've done is they've shown releasing true information. And see, this is why them... Going after, first off, I I hope they get sued right away. I uh, the think the thing that's going to save us is the First Amendment, because you saw the hit piece on us, Roger right, Malt, that CNN did, did recently against Putin? Oh yeah, because you know they well, were trying to go the, to the FCC
4: and all that nonsense. Yeah,
0: and and you saw what the guy from the FCC said. I thought Pick his rocks. his comments i thought his comments were good he basically said Mm -hmm. we we do not regulate content we say they have to say who they are that's all we can do we do not regulate content this new truth commission seems to me to be regulating content and if the fcc can't do it no new government agency can do it so i hope they get sued quickly and massively on First Amendment grounds. And he pointed out the FCC, because of the First Amendment, does not have the authority. But what do you think of the attacks on Elon Musk,
4: Jamal? I mean, those have been hysterical. I mean, like, insanely hysterical. And you have to ask, like, why are these people losing their mind like this? Like, think about it. It's a social media platform. Why are they losing their mind like this? Like Ari, Ari Merlberg, I believe his name on MSNBC, goes onto this rant that is so unself-aware that it's like clownish. It's almost like a parody of itself where he's like, oh, Elon Musk can get rid of people on Twitter. He can remove um, talking points and he can get rid of people from um, their situations that he don't like. And he's like, dude, they're doing that now. They're doing that now. That is literally Twitter now for most of the people who are on Twitter. It's like, are you insane?
0: And, you're, and so it's like, you know,
4: people popping. Jamal,
0: we're out. we're out of time, but a great appearance, Jamal. Great talking to you. Great appearance. Absolutely, man. You're high, you're, you're high energy and always fun, fun to talk to you and very well-informed as well. Jamal Thomas, the co-host of Fault Lines in the morning here on Radio Sputnik. And coming up, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more— Backstory right after this break. And we're back from the Empire of Lies. And just outside the lie zone, Washington, D.C. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist, Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. I love talking to Jamal Thomas, a great appearance by him. And I'm not surprised that he likes close guys the kind of the third kind. By the way, I'm old enough that I was a young teenager, middle school age, the year that Star Wars and Close Encounters came out and were in the movie theaters. And during that summer I saw Close Encounters more than I saw Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but I was born in C three K. So that's tells you how nerdy I am. But Jamal Thomas, thanks for the appearance, great job and check him out on Fault Lines every morning here on Sputnik. Coming up this hour, another of our favorite guests, Caleb Malpin, Caleb's wicked smart, as we say in Massachusetts, and he'll be joining us this hour.
1: And Rod? You're listening to The Backstory. I have uh, got news for you about our guest that's coming on. Uh, Caleb's actually been suspended from PayPal. Really? Yeah, that's uh, as of an hour ago. I saw him posted on Twitter, so the, you know we can talk to him about that. It doesn't. The, I saw the screenshot he put, and it doesn't seem like they really really put any d- definition on why he's being suspended from uh, PayPal. It's kind of very vague.
0: And uh, I had a friend who was a lady who was very smart about politics, and uh, my friend Heather, and once once she said to me. If you want to F with someone, F with their money and fill in your blank with the F is. But she's right. And by going after Kayla Mopin, who's one of the people who provides a tremendous amount of information, and I hope, luckily, he can work around this. And I hope Elon Musk, who's one of the founders of PayPal, can exert some influence. He's, he he made a tweet today where he said, I'm simply saying Twitter should be without political bias. And that is all he's saying. And That's it's racist, my same dude. thing.
1: What's that? That's racist. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. And, and, uh, You know, it's funny you say that, and it's a joke, and I get the joke, but did you see the headline, I forget what it's in, a magazine or Washington Post or something, they said, why Elon Musk take out of Twitter terrifies black people. Did you see that headline?
1: Yeah, actually I did see that on Twitter. I saw people were making fun of it cuz you know what what is Elon <laughs> what is Elon Musk done up until now that is the, the where he's you know some type of big bigot or racist against black people but now he wants to he wants to buy Twitter. It's just it's just the democratic narrative. They have to use black people for everything. You know, we must keep the borders open. It will help black people. We must keep uh, abolish all prisons. It'll help black people. You know, and you name it. You know, we must help Ukraine. It'll help black people. That's that's their line.
0: Yeah. And and it's bizarre. Uh, And also. You know, I'll steal the line from Dave Chappelle. And it was a good line, but he he was talking about. uh, White people in, in reference to this who complain about certain things. And. He said. Brittle spirit. Do you remember that line, Brittle Spirit?
1: Uh, no, well, couldn't remind me, though, but I, I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle, but
0: I don't mind this one. That was a punchline. His punchline was, you know, white people are complaining about, it was something that white pe- some white people do complain about, and he was saying, my people were enslaved, brought here in ships, and he said, and they're complaining about this, Brittle Spirit. So let me point out that if you're a black person Who's terrified of Elon Musk? That's a brutal spirit. Can you imagine some brother being afraid of Elon Musk? If you met him in an alley,
1: would you be at all intimidated? I'd not ask him what he's selling because he would seem like a guy would be selling something in an alley. He's a he's a Canadian nerd. I'll put it like this: he's he's a South African. South Africa he is any he is Canadian too he's been all over so I' I'm, I think he has a connection in Canada as well
0: oh you know I bet I I heard something weird have you heard that people are saying Elon Musk lives in spare rooms he lives at friends houses he doesn't have a home a permanent
1: <laughs> I did see I did see yeah, I did see that on Twitter that he just doesn't—he uh, doesn't have a house. But I think I did see a couple of years ago. I, th- I thought he bought some famous person's house that had like trap doors and all this other stuff.
0: I can not imagine he buy a house for fun, but I can see Elon Musk just as staying with whoever he's staying with, because he 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 needs to be where he is at any given time, and he he could afford to buy a house in any city he wants to be in. But why? Why not stay in a spare bedroom? But I thought that was quirky, and typically Elon Musk. Asks. But the idea that black people are terrified of Elon Musk, brittle spirit, what kind of chicken? I think the average black person is tougher than that. Because by the way, I think the average anyone is tougher than that. Who's terrified of Elon Musk?
1: What? Uh, that's a, it's a good question, Lee. I mean, I don't. What, what has he done? I mean, people were praising electric cars when he came out with the Tesla, but all of a sudden now he's, uh, you know, public enemy number one. And just to let you know, we got Malik on the line.
0: Okay. And we'll get to Malik in one second. Uh, you also point out to me something, Rod, today that I had not seen that the Kremlin has come out and said basically that they don't think Elon Musk can save. Uh, free speech. And as far as that goes, I agree with that. Does that make sense?
1: That yeah, no, I, I think I, I think I agree with that too.
0: Yes. And and so while I don't think I'll put it like this I the odds are long against him. Because look at what happened. Elon must buy Twitter and Joe Biden announces this unconstitutional, I'll say it again, unconstitutional new government agency that's going to regulate truth. The guy who lies way into office is going to regulate truth. So I think Elon Musk has huge forces against him, and I think it showed itself right away. But I must say, while Elon Musk might not be able to single-handedly defend freedom of speech. He's exposed something. He exposed something for what it was very quickly. And so, you know, I understand, but, but I'll say this. I give him credit for trying. And until he doesn't succeed, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm willing to say... As long as he's doing the right thing. And so far, he hasn't sold out. The government, he's up against the government, but the Constitution, the First Amendment is pretty sure to win a lot of court battles. They'll have to radically redefine the First Amendment in a way that I think even many of these government statists are unwilling to do. They don't want to come out. And admit they want to get rid of the First Amendment. You know, say before they were able to slough it off. Well, it's not against the First Amendment because it's a private company. Now the private is in the hands of somebody who's pro free speech. Now it's a new government agency. So interesting. 202 521 1320. Let's go to Malik in DC.
5: Lee, thanks for uh, taking my call. And, you, you know, it, it's interesting, And in, you know, to I, I'm calling because I, I wanted to talk about the divide in the left that you guys were discussing earlier. And, and in terms of what you were just talking about, you know, I...
0: Well, well, well Mark, let, let me say first, not to interrupt you, but you, you'll like why I'm doing it. Let me say, absolutely, you're one of the people I want to hear from on this because you're a person who I think is genuinely on the left and probably likely agrees with some of the identity politics stuff. And I'm not using it as an insulting term. I don't know what else to call it. But am I right, Malik, that you're a person on the left and that you agree with some of it, right?
5: Uh, you, you would you would be right. And and yeah. I'm not on the left. No, I'm just, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. But I'm not I'm not on the left because you know it was the cool thing to do on my college campus, or I you know I frequent uh, Sunday brunch with liberals. I'm I'm on the left because I was born and you know I was born you know, poor, working class, and grew up in central Harlem and had no uh, choice but to actually get into or political organizing, was surrounded by police brutality and blight and had no choice, you know, and that's, you know, in terms of the divide that you guys were discussing earlier, that divide, and many people on the left don't want to deal with it, that divide have, uh, is based in intellectual elitism, classism, uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and often to a degree, you know, to a degree racism, but it, it definitely has a strong uh, class and in, in intellectual elitist character to it. Um, I have, you know, you know I, I have quote unquote comrades who have left the left because the left doesn't represent uh, the, uh, the aspirations of poor people. You know, it, become, it has become about all of these, these things, and these are things that many of my comrades, when we were brought into uh, political orientation by former revolutionaries, um, you know, we call those things reactionary and bourgeois. Because they are, you know, they are, you know, they're the orientations of those who have the luxury to focus on things that are superfluous to actual bread and butter and concrete survival of poor people. They can, you know, they can get all off into those those kinds of things, and it and, it's, and it and it sounds great, and it and it makes you appeal. In uh, one specific thing, when I came as a teenager, when I came into political organizing in Harlem in New York City, um, you couldn't really um, make a direct connection between the Democratic Party and those who were in the grassroots organizing, whether it be in New York, California. You know the south of the Midwest. Now you can you can you can draw a direct line from the so-called grassroots to the Democratic Party. Those people rub elbows together now,
0: and and and, and also, Malcolm. Let me let me just riff off something you're saying, and see if I get this right. So you're saying you got into this because you cared about issues like let's say poverty in the black community, and if you're living in a black community, I'm pretty sure the number one issue to you is not the pronoun that's used against a transgender dude who's competing against women in swimming, right?
5: Exactly. You know, and and to be quite honest with you, and not to speak, you know, on the behalf of, of a... A, a uh, uh, passed away or, or dead gay man, but my my older brother was a gay man who died of AIDS uh, some years ago. And
0: I'm sorry, sorry. Uh...
5: you know, but and, and you know, he I mean, he had you know, um, he you know, he had a decent life, man. You know, and you know. But for him, this kind of thing, you know, in the older generation, you know, and, uh, would, would have been disgusted by a lot of this stuff. Because, it, it, you know, because for him, uh, it, was, it was about those issues in the, in the black community. You know, and not that he wanted to be, uh, he wouldn't have understood uh, gay oppression. He understood it. He hung out at the Stonewall. He understood that very well, but right. you know, it, you know right. it, it's not—it's not, it's not about—it wasn't—it's not about these things. It wouldn't have been about those things for him, and and he wouldn't have been involved in it. He would have, uh, you know, it, it would have been a waste of time for him. You know, he would be surprised. And let me
0: let, let me say this too—that I wish you, there is a transgender athletics issue where a guy who is born male competed as a female. And cleaned up in the sport of water polo. And let me explain why. Because it would expose that it's a it's 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 a it's a joke, even in swimming. It doesn't make any difference. But water polo would expose how elite it is, right? Because I view it as focusing on pronouns and on this on on women's athletics. The powerless ones, the ones with less power, are the women who fought for years to get women, female athletics taken seriously. Right, and there's still a big pay gap. And for a guy to essentially come in and he doesn't even cut anything off, and just he 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 decides I'm going to compete. That seems to me to be a victory for elitism.
5: Right, and 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 Lee, I uh, you know. And and not to not to necessarily make this about me, this is some of the differences that I have with the host of your of the show that comes next right before you right before yours. I, you know, someone like me, I I differ with that because I don't believe that the black community should be that closely allied, not just with liberals uh, or the Democratic Party, but with. Um, factions within the progressive left that really don't care about black people. You know, they they care more about these kind of, you know, these superfluous issues um, that, you know, and, and telling people what to do, which is why, to be quite honest, why I'm kind of banned from, you know, calling in to uh, by any means necessary. Because I don't, because though the, a lot of the issues that they discuss on that show, I don't think have anything to do with correcting the situation for black people, African people on this planet, Um it, It it doesn't have anything to do with that. And I'm not saying that they don't deal with issues that actually do. I'm saying that a lot of things that they discuss don't have anything to do with that, have no bearing on that.
0: Hey, Malik, I've got to go because we got three callers on the line. But I'm serious. I'm really glad you called. Thanks for saying what I think a lot of people feel. And let's go to David in New York, 202-521-1320. What's on your mind, David?
6: Hi. Uh-huh, yes. Uh, can I change the t- topic to to something uh, relating to UFOs? Sure. Okay. Well, uh, this this is something I wrote about uh, well ten years ago, and I, I think it it, it it the your interview with Jamal Thomas reminded me of this. Uh, it's about a minute. Can I read it?
0: Go. Yeah. Go ahead.
6: Okay. Uh, My take on the UFO phenomenon, it's a skeptical take. Basically, I think humans have a superstitious gene. In other words, at a gut level, we are all superstitious. Only conscious rational thought can override the subconscious pull towards belief in the supernatural. We have to fight off such beliefs since they're instinctive. Otherwise, we would quickly regress back to sun worship and human sacrifice. Without modern religions, the world would be a very occult place. Of course, one could argue that modern religions have simply tapped the superstitious gene and it to their own advantage. Um, let's see, I've to got to another page here. Oh, one second. Uh, it's more, half a page left. Um, uh channeling their own advantage and promoting their own supernatural concepts. Relating back to UFOs, I believe that most, but maybe not all, UFO reports are illusions, hoaxes, or frauds. In fact, a large number of these reports have been exposed as fakes. So why do people still believe? I think it's because humans want to believe. So the popular bias favors belief, not suspicion. Uh, As are UFO reports much different than character from reports of ghosts, vampires, witches, devils, monsters, miracles, etc., as reported throughout history? To my view, it's all the same thing. As a species, we can't help it. It's just our superstitious gene. Anyway, that, was, that was something I wrote 10 years ago. It reminded me of when you, when you. I know Jamal Thomas is, is very. Uh, that, 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 that's the finished finish reading of it. I know Jamal Thomas is, is, is very uh, positive towards the belief in. Aliens, or at least a possibility, strong possibility, strong, strongly tended towards that belief, and uh, this is sort of a pushback. You know, we didn't actually say it in, the, in this segment. This is sort of a pushback against that. What's, what's your
0: take? Well, what I what I know, uh, what I know for sure, is that the government is covering up stuff. For some reason, the government is covering it up, and I don't know what they're covering up exactly, or, or why. But it's obvious. The Project Blue stuff we're talking about, it's obvious that there's a government cover-up. So I leave it at that, and then I look at a lot of stuff through that lens. I go, if they're covering it up, I assume they're doing it for a reason and try to figure out what that is. But good call, David. Thanks a lot for calling. 202-521-1320. Tarif. That's on your mind. How you
7: doing? Thanks for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free joining the signs. I have a comment. I was reading the tweets today. Pip asked and some other people tweeting out. And I, I called in early this morning on a show, the Fault Lines Radio. It seems like uh, there's rumors coming out, the Russian security service, that the United States is, is going to push pulling to occupy West Ukraine, right? Putting troops in now. Talk about some being peacekeepers. Not only them being peacekeepers in, in West Ukraine, but they're also pushing Romania and Ukraine to go into Moldova to uh, be peacekeepers in Moldova and probably go into Transnistria as well, which is Russian um, um, a separatist enclave. Now, if all that happened, while you know Russia's doing what they're doing in Eastern Ukraine and they're marching slowly too. Transnistria to connect with it, then because they um, got a large ammo um, um, depot in Transnistria, right from the Silver area, and, and the rumor is Ukraine wants its hands on that, you know, because that's what their weapons can match up with. So we're gonna see how this play out because if the occupy Moldova then Transnistria, then things can get a lot of hairy, and we might have the beginning stages of World War III. I mean, NATO is involved now.
0: So, we'll see. Well, good culture. I would argue we already have the big of World War III. And NATO clearly involved. But Russia has made it very clear. And I think, like uh, Brave said a few weeks ago, Putin don't play. And Putin's not playing. And I think Lavrov made it very clear. They're not playing. And if Poland wants to test that, Poland will get a little taste of what Ukraine has learned because I'm thinking Russia is not going to play around with this. And even the weapons coming in, Lavrov made it clear that those will be targeted. So 202-521-1320, Ingrid, what is on your mind?
8: Well, thanks for taking my call, Lee. Um, if you're going to have Caleb on, Caleb Maupin, he makes no bones about his support for Russia's actions in Ukraine. And he's he and his think tank, the Center for Political Innovation, have been having uh, conferences around the country. They have been picketed and assaulted by Ukrainians who are condemning him. Now, y- yesterday, you had... John Kiriakouan. And because of that, I wanted—I went back to hear the show he did and, and Peter Kuznick to see what, what they really said, because you and John talked about the blowback of the sanctions. And I wanted to see what, what they said. And actually, what they said was the sanctions didn't have the effect as swiftly as they thought yet. And I think Kuznick just hung on to his idea that this was going to be uh, bad for Russia and that Russia is bad, et cetera, et cetera. But this um, push now for for the for more weapons into Ukraine, I think this is desperation on the part of Biden and and uh, the state here seeing seeing what's happening with the blowback, seeing that this may be the end of the petrodollar. As far as saying we're spending billions of dollars in Ukraine, well, to this point, not really. We're spending those billions of dollars here. And as Scotty Nell Hughes pointed out, those people are getting paid for the weapons here in the United States, and they don't really care if they get blown up on railroad sidings over there. That's that's where the money is going. <laughs> so, Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think I, – I didn't hear the segment, obviously, with Kiryakou and Kuznick, and I, I can only go by what John said to me on the air, that he sounded, sounded like he agreed with the idea that the sanctions have backfired in the U.S., and that's not my opinion. Clearly, the numbers don't lie. They thought they would take out the ruble. Ruble's doing fine right now. So uh, I think Russia was prepared for the economic – they were prepared for the sanctions. It's not that they came out of nowhere. The sanctions have been going on for years, and I think it did backfire. But 202-521, great call and thanks. Let's go to Brave in Atlanta, 202 1320 Brave, what's on your mind?
9: Hey, what's going on, Lee? I actually wanted to um – well, first, I, I, let me follow up off, off of uh, Ingrid's uh, point because she, she makes a, a very valid point. I was listening to—I'm uh, not sure if you listen to the it, in the podcast or if you're familiar with um, a- Adam uh, Curry or John C. Dvorak—but they were making—they were uh, referencing uh, um, a point that uh, they were referencing the uh, Economic Hitman. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Um, yes. About yeah, okay, good. So they, they were saying that it looks more like. Um, the, well, I think we pretty much all can tell if you're keep, keeping up with it. And, if, and at minimum, if not, check out Scott Ritter because he's constantly talking about it. I think that the equipment that we're sitting, most of the equipment that we're sitting out there is, is the old junk. The junk has been sitting around in freights and in storage in a lot of these weapons manufacturers. Um, you know, they're, they're uh, just, they're, just they're, they're extra crap. And so all that stuff's getting sent, so nobody cares if it gets blown up, right? And then, like and to the point that Andrew just made, we're spending that money with the defense contractors buying new stuff. Um, I
0: personally and, and and brave. Let me just make one point briefly. In some ways, the old stuff makes sense because the Ukrainian military, a lot of the equipment they had was Cold War era stuff, so it's older weaponry, and that means they're trained on that weaponry, and that also means if you send them ammo. It needs to be for the weaponry because the caliber of the artillery of the older stuff is slightly different than the caliber of the artillery. It's, it's a difference of a few millimeters, but it means that the ammo doesn't work. The newer ammo doesn't work on the older stuff. So that, that's another weird thing about sending Ukraine weapons, but go ahead.
9: No, and, and that's that's fine and good. I, that, that, that makes that makes sense. I just um, I personally don't. and if, I'll try to wrap this point up. I want to make a, a second point. Um, I, I personally don't believe it, even though that makes sense in that. That, that, that's reasonable, but I don't think it's about that. I think it's just sitting in the all crap with the expectation that it's going to get blown up and just not caring. Because again, I think it's all about. I think it's about money laundering. I think that they are they are sitting this money out to their friends and buddies who they have investors with, and that money's coming right back to them. I think they have personal interest in them all, and these amounts that are being spent. I think it has nothing to do with making sure that that Ukraine is even adequately armed, right? Because I because there's no way in the world that they are not privy to the same. Information that we're getting, if not more, obviously more, right? And they know that they know that that this 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 battle is already lost, and there is no chance. So I I don't think the desperation even comes into the into the picture as far as the weapons they're sending and the money they're spending. I think the only the only place where um, desperation plays a part, yes, true, is that uh, it's true that that the dollar is on its last gasp. The oil, the oil dollar, right, and that they may be trying to find a way to get as many dollars to themselves and to the, and in the coffers of their their buddies as they can. But um, I want to leave that point and make a very another point if I, if I can very quickly concerning the transgender issue. I've raised this point with Kim Iverson hoping that somebody would maybe take a look at it and cover it. I don't know who would be willing to or daring enough. But when you look at the media, and talk uh, we look at the woke media, whatever you want to call it, corporate media, uh, leftist media, whatever, I'm talking about commercials, all of these things that they're constantly propagandizing us with. When they're talking about the trans issue, they only seem to talk, I'm not sure if I brought it up with you before, but they only seem to talk about trans women, meaning men, who become women. My, and my wife is constantly infuriated by it, because she says they never, ever bring up, discuss, or even show uh, trans men, women who have transcended in, transitioned into being men. And so it, it makes me um, very suspicious of, of um, their, the reasoning behind it, because, again, when is the last time you heard an argument, a discussion, or even seen attention specifically on trans men, meaning women, who are, who have transitioned to um, to becoming men? You don't. And so it really makes me wonder, what are they trying to accomplish, and why are they constantly watching us with this whole thing with uh, transgender men and being fair to transgender? I'm sorry, transgender women in sports. Like, like the commercial says, it's hard to be a, it's hard to perform as a transgender woman. I I, I find that highly debatable. So I, I don't know. I hope, I hope my point makes sense to you, and I would love to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Absolutely does. And it's it's something that I've said before, and and let me just say more bluntly. Because I was making this point before. This is a man's movement. The transgender athletics issue is men. People who are born men. And you can call them whatever you want to. It doesn't make any difference. People who are born men. And the reason there's no trans women. No one, no one wants to. A trans woman competing as a man in weightlifting. is going to lose. Right? And that's one reason. Not a lot want to, but it's an absurd. It's a it's almost a reductio you out of absurdum of the woke movement, and that is a big a woke is, issue as exists today. So I think it drowns out other issues that have more legitimacy uh, towards inequity. But great call, brave. Thanks so much. Let's take a short break. When we come back. The newly defunded but great guests on the show. We're looking forward to talking to Kenneth Mopin right after this break on the backstory. We are back on The Backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., is where we still are on the radio. Hey, Rod, let me ask you one thing before we bring Caitlin Melpin on. Did you hear Joy Reid is in some trouble? She has the lowest ratings of her career, and there are rumors. Did you hear Joy Reid might be gone soon? MSNBC might let her go.
1: No, I did not hear those rumors today.
0: Yeah, because she's apparently dismal ratings. And apparently, Dismal ratings. CNN Plus Prove This matter occasionally. But would it be hilarious if Joy Reid were off the air and Sputnik were still on the air?
1: <laughs> I, think, I think that would be uh, fitting for her calling for our demise.
0: I would want to send her over some flowers or some vodka or something. Because it's Joy Reid, for those of you new, new to the show... Joy Reed several years ago, and it was, it was like two or three years ago, said that Sputnik was going to be taken off the air on the radio tomorrow. And she, she was very clear about it. She heard we were going to be taken off the air. So I would just guffaw and send her, uh, again, some caviar or something, one of those little Russian dolls that you open up, and then eventually there's a doll who's so small it has no job like Joy Reid. But joining us now, great guest, successful author, and correspondent, Caleb Muffin. Hey, Caleb, how are you doing?
10: Good. I'm all right. How about yourself?
0: I'm okay. Now, I've heard you defunded Caleb Muffin, right?
10: I don't know what defunded exactly is the right word. My PayPal has been banned. Uh, that was the main way that people who support the work that I'm doing, I just received word from PayPal that I'm permanently banned. Uh, they didn't give any reason, any specific reason. Uh, not thrilled about that. You know, uh, RC America, my employer, uh, has been shut down. Um, you know, I'm still doing reporting from Mo- for Moscow, uh, for RT yeah. International. But uh, yeah, yeah, these are tough times for those of us who challenge the prevailing narratives. Uh, and as I'm sure, I mean,
0: this- now are you are you in Moscow? No, no, I'm in New York City, in Brooklyn okay. in my neighborhood. Oh, yeah. okay, that that would be exciting, because I thought you know, I'm used to you being in New York, but you're saying that RT International is still broadcasting. And I noticed they put out a lot of great stuff on YouTube and that you've been picked up and you're working with RT International.
10: Sure, yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, uh, YouTube has banned RT International. I have a YouTube channel on YouTube streaming almost every day. Uh, you know, uh, Rumble, you can watch RT on Rumble. Uh, you can watch uh, RT on RT.com. You can hit live. Uh, you know, a number of places that uh, you can still watch us. Yeah, YouTube has shut us down and uh, RT America, the company, has shut down uh and i'm banned from paypal and uh you know that's the way these things work but uh standing strong and continue to keep doing what i'm doing uh because i didn't you know a lot of people i always go to these people oh you just think that because you work there i was an anti-imperialist long before i'd ever appeared on rc i used to work for ramsey clark the former u.s attorney general uh who stood up and, and exposed the international criminal court and you know, defended Saddam Hussein and defended Milosevic, you know. I was part of the Occupy Wall Street protests. Uh, People can remember me back in my college days, how I would challenge them when they were showing us propaganda against North Korea and against Zimbabwe in our college classes. So I've been an anti-imperialist long before I ever worked in in this world of anti-imperialist media, and I'm not going to stop just because uh, it gets harder and harder to do the kind of work that I want to do. So there you go.
0: And also, let me point out, no one is coming out and saying it, they take, uh, like, I, I put in my profile, I stand with Russia. That was not a big career builder, right? Right? Working for RT was not the path, it's not the pathway to greater things. I think working for RT is great, and I think working for Sputnik is great. But I don't do it because I think I'm going to get picked up by Fox, or you're going to get picked up. You, you kind of shut down mainstream media outlets, would be unlikely to hire you no matter how good your work is because your work is good, right? I mean, if you want to sell out, and you I, pick the I, wrong direction.
10: Yeah. And I don't think I would ever be able to work at mainstream media because if they came to me and said, oh, you know, we want you to say there's weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and the USA has to invade to protect us from a mushroom cloud in our cities, I would tell them, you know, where they can shove it, you know? Uh, and uh, and that's why I would never probably be able to work in mainstream media. Now, if there was some outlet in mainstream media that was going to let me, you know, be true to my principles and be anti-imperialist and expose their lies, you know, that might be another story, but I really doubt that based on what we're seeing now, Uh, you know. I mean, Tucker Carlson has said some good stuff about Russia, and I commend him for it. I don't like a lot of what he's saying about China and on some other issues, but, you know, he's actually, you know, said some good stuff about Syria and Russia, so I can respect that. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, I mean, but at the end of the day, you know, I know who the war makers are. Uh, I know what happened to Iraq after the USA invaded and was supposed to be liberating these people. And they were just supposed to love the United States and be throwing flowers. Look at Iraq. I know what Libya has been like uh, since, you know, remember how it was just it had to rescue those people from evil Gaddafi. Well, now things are so bad, people are drowning in the Mediterranean trying to get out of what we've done in Libya. I know what's, what's happened in Syria as a result of the USA funding these rebels. I mean, everywhere these wars go, uh, people's lives get worse and worse and worse. You know, I risked my life on a ship uh, trying to get to Yemen with the Red Crescent Society of the Islamic Republic of Iran trying to deliver medical aid. And the Saudis bombed the port where we were supposed to arrive. This was in uh, 2015. They bombed the port we were supposed to arrive on and killed a number of dock workers to prevent us from delivering medical aid. Uh, you know, they want us to believe Russia are the big aggressors in the world. I, I think we know who the real aggressors are. And, and, you know, the enemy of American working families is not not in uh, not in Russia, not in China. It's not in Iran. It's not in Venezuela. Right? It's on Wall Street and it's in the Pentagon. And I'm going to keep saying that no matter what.
0: And 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 first off, I'm glad Archie uh, picked you up because you are a great correspondent. And it was it was I would hate to have your loss in the world out there. And even with PayPal banning you, you'll find other ways to make money or other services that don't ban you. PayPal's not the only game in the sea. So good luck to you, Caleb. And and thanks again for your brave, good work. Uh, Now, Ingrid was talking before she called in and she said, you've taken some heat, the organization you work with, for saying that you're take Russia's side in this conflict and against the Ukrainian side that have suffered some degree of harassment and maybe even threats from Ukrainians. Is that the case?
10: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had a conference in Texas, uh, March 8th, right after all these things got going, we had a conference in Texas and, uh, you know, it was, uh, Pretty well attended, standing room only. It was packed, but we had quite a bit of security, and we removed a number of people who came to give us trouble. Um, you know, and we've been out in the streets. Uh, we had some pop-up demonstrations where we've been out in the streets. Uh, you know, waving the flag of the Donetsk People's Republic uh, in support of uh, the people of the Donbass region who've been bombed and shelled and attacked for eight years, had 14,000 of them dead. Russia's taken in 2.5 million refugees from there, and uh, we're standing in solidarity with those folks. Uh, and you know, U.S. media. That's doesn't care about their lives you know all of a sudden we're hearing about ukrainians who are suffering and they are suffering and we want that suffering to end i'm not supporting you know the, you know the suffering of ukrainians but what about the, the people in the eastern regions who've been bombed and shelled and attacked how long was russia supposed to wait for the minsk accords to be recognized you know there was this deal that was made uh seven years ago a deal was signed that they were supposed to stop bombing the russian-speaking peoples in the eastern region and russia waited seven years for them to fulfill their end of the bargain. How long were they supposed to wait? 10 years? 15 years? They're just supposed to let them keep killing these people, let them, you know, these people have to keep fleeing to Russia, let them keep dragging these people to court for speaking their own language, let them keep tearing down World War II memorials, let them keep building these bio labs, you know, where they're doing strange chemical weapons research uh, with Pentagon funding. You know, how long is Russia supposed to just sit back and let this kind of thing go on on their border? you think we would tolerate uh, such things happening on the U.S. border? If Russia was building chemical weapons labs in Mexico, if the USA were, were having to deal with the fact that a bunch of Nazis in Mexico were getting guns and weapons uh, from, from Russia and then using it to attack U.S. citizens in Mexico or people that were friendly to the United States in Mexico, I mean, obviously something has to be done. Russia has to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Um, it's what any country would do under these circumstances. And actually, Russia has shown a great deal of restraint, if you want to be real about it. You wouldn't know that if you just watch CNN, but uh, compared to what they could be doing, uh, they're showing quite a bit of restraint, but they're saying, Look, you're you're threatening us, you're harassing us, uh, you're you're threatening us right on their border, uh, and we gotta do something about it. And if they can recognize the right of the peoples of the eastern region, uh, you know, to at this point be separate because Ukraine won't let them back into Ukraine, it won't fulfill the Minsk Accords. If it'll let the people in Donbass live and leave them alone, I think this could come to an end very, very quickly. If Ukraine would agree not to join NATO and not to, you know, set up, you know, military threats right on Russia's border uh, and stop, you know, bombing and shelling the people of the eastern region, let them separate from Ukraine, since they won't let them be part of Ukraine. Um, you know, I think this could come to an end. And the worst thing about all of it, I do want to say, is that uh, I must say that, you know, Joe Biden and our leaders, they claim they care so much about the Ukrainian people. Right? Oh, they're crying for Ukraine. They care. Then why has the CIA been in Ukraine for the past five years trying to turn their country into a battlefield? Why have they been planning for a long term war in Ukraine for five years? I mean, this is fact now. Yahoo News has run articles. They have been planning a long term war in Ukraine for the past five years. They've been getting ready for this. If you care about somebody, you don't try to turn their country into a battlefield and you don't pour more weapons in. And you don't make more threats, and you don't pour gasoline on it by saying that Putin has to be removed from office. I mean, the U.S. leaders, they claim to care about Ukrainians. But at the same time, they're doing everything they possibly can to keep the killing going, to prevent negotiations, to prevent anything that can lead to peace. Russia wants to be out of there. They don't want this to be the new Afghanistan. Well, if they were in Afghanistan in the 80s and it had horrendous effects, you know, not just in Afghanistan, but for the whole Soviet Union right? And that, uh, you know, Russia realizes that it is not in their interest to have a long-term intervention in Ukraine. They want this to end. The United States wants this to keep going. And at the end of the day, that shows that the U.S. leaders really don't care about Ukrainians. Ukrainians really don't matter to them. They're good propaganda against Russia. They can hold up images and and cry for them in order to, you know, justify spending more money and the military industrial complex getting more out of this. But at the end of the day, they don't really care about Ukrainians. If you care about Ukrainians, you would want there to be peace in Ukraine.
0: That's right, but the CIA has a history that goes back to the 1940s of working with Ukraine. Anyone who doubts it, go type in any search engine, type in CIA FOIA, F-O-I-A, search, and you'll find the search engine to search the CIA's own archives. And then type in aerodynamic, A-E-R-O, dynamic, one word, and the documents will show up of the government supporting this through this program called Aerodynamic, exactly like Caleb was saying, the CIA has been there for a lot longer than five years. They've been there for five years, but since the 40s and 50s, this has been going on. And so a long history of U.S. involvement with Ukraine that you can look up yourself on CIA's own website. Check it out. Now, Caleb, you said something here that I want to uh, – Ask you about you said the you you you've been on the street demonstrating in in behalf on behalf of Russia. I and let me ask you if someone wanted to do a similar demonstration in favor of what Russia trying to do and the Donetsk People's Republic, how would they go about that? And the reason I asked that, Caleb. You're in New York City, sure, but I also am in a big city, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I happen to live a block away from literally the busiest street in South Dakota. 41st Street is right up the block from me. And I would love to get out there and do something uh, in support of them, but I wouldn't. I don't have a Dennis flag and I don't think you're selling those on Amazon or wherever. How would you tell anybody in any city, if they wanted to express support for the Russian position on this, how would you suggest that they go out and do it?
10: Well, I mean, the main thing that we did is we didn't announce we were going to do it ahead of time. We just did had you know, pop-up demonstrations, basically, where we just showed up, uh, you know, because if you announce you're going to do it, especially in New York City, there's going to be a crowd of 200 Ukrainians there ready to beat you up or whatever. Uh, we just, we, we gathered our group of friends, we planned to do it, and we made signs in English and in Russian uh, that said, uh, Russia is not our enemy, Wall Street uh, and NATO fascists are. Um, we made signs that said that. Uh, one of my friends had a Donetsk flag that he's had for years that he got, you know, back in 2014 when this whole situation started. Another one of my friends had a Russian flag. Um, and we got together and we said, all right, we're going to do this. We met up uh, beforehand at a fast food restaurant. We kind of huddled. Uh, We kind of, you know, mapped out the the route where we were going to march and where we were going to set up. We got our sound system, and we went and did it. Um, And we did it. And, you know, there was a a guy who ran at us. Uh, There was uh, some guy from, uh, he was from Central Asia, one of the Central Asian countries, was pretty angry. But, you know, a couple of my friends had my back, and they, you know, they pulled him. He wasn't able to to jump me like he, he wanted to. And uh, there were some Ukrainian folks that came and yelled at us. We yelled back at them. And, and we did it for a couple hours. We filmed it. We put it on YouTube. And then we left. Right? I mean, and this is, you so
0: know, aside, about, look, look, aside from those hostile people, what was the general reaction? Did you see much support?
10: Yes. Uh, and there were a lot of people uh, who were just shocked, right? When we first walked into Union Square in New York doing this, there were a lot of people whose jaws kind of dropped. But then there were a number of people who told us they agreed with us. We've had literature tables out, you know, in Washington, D.C. and in New York City. And we've gotten similar positive responses. Uh, and it's such a wide variety of people who agree with us. That's what blew my mind, right? So you get kind of, you know, older libertarian guys who are like, yeah, just seems like propaganda. You know, you know, why are they censoring the media? You know, if Russia, Russia doesn't have a, have a legit reason for doing this, why are they shutting down their media and not letting us hear their side of the story? Uh, you know, there were a lot of international students, you know, Union Square in New York is right near New School, University, NYU, and a crowd of Indian students from India came over and they were, you know, saying, yeah, you know, um, you know, we're hearing the news back home. It's completely different than what we're seeing on CNN. We agree with you. There are a number of, you know, African folks uh, from Africa, you know, African businessmen, people like that in New York City who just who live, you know, they got apartments in. Midtown or whatever. And they told us, yeah, they agree with us. Russia is an important, you know, friend of the African people and does business there and Eurasian Economic Union and such. And they were sympathetic. Uh, there were even some young hipster kind of socialist people. You would think they would be all into the, you know, the woke thing. But some of them were saying, yeah, actually, you know, I you know Russia, you know, they're not giving us the whole side of the story. And I was shocked. I was utterly shocked at how much sympathy and support we've gotten being out there and doing this, you have your fanatics, you have your, you know, your Ukrainian folks, you know, that, that want to yell at you, you know, and they, you know, they, they found us and there were a couple of them yelling at us or whatever, but for the most part, you know, uh, there were a lot of people who are sympathetic. There were a lot of people who didn't agree, uh, you know, uh, didn't agree, but they wanted to hear what we had to say. And I think that, look, we're in a time where American working families are struggling. The price of gas is rising. The price of fuel is rising. And a lot of people are angry at the status quo. So if the status quo, if the government, if the powers that be are telling them, oh, you've got to hate Russia, you've got to hate Russia, there's a lot of people who just on some kind of gut level are like, well, maybe Russia's got a point because it's you guys who are, who are making my life miserable here. And, you know, that's kind of the sentiment. And That's, you know, that's why there's so much anti-vax sentiment, I would argue. That's why there's, a lot of interest in what they call quote-unquote conspiracy theories is because everybody knows that the government in the United States is not working for us, it's working for some ultra-rich people who don't seem to mind if middle America, you know, falls apart economically and people die from opioids and lose their jobs. And so based on that, you know, if we're coming along and we're saying, yeah, and they're lying to you about Russia, people want to hear it, Um, you know. And and there's a lot of people that, that, you know, maybe they're not getting their orders, uh, you know, from CNN, maybe they're not following all the woke rules, and they're like, yeah, they're telling us to hate Russia. I want to hear Russia's side of the story. So I think it's, it's really a good thing we did. We've had literature tables. We've had these little demonstrations. And they've created quite a splash. And we're going to keep doing it. You know, we're going to keep doing it. And they can make my life hard. They can shut down my PayPal. They can they can suppress me on social media. But I'm going to keep doing it because this is the truth that people need to hear.
0: And I'm a South Dakota, which is very Republican. And I'm on the right to of Republican, but libertarian-leaning Republican. I'm like that old libertarian guy you're talking about that's me but can you see can you see because i i think you're committed in socialist right fair to say
10: but I, I, it's hard for me to say that nowadays because it seems like so many of the people going around speaking in, in the name of socialism are people i so vehemently disagree with i mean i mean the, the principles that i've been you know dedicated to for my entire adult life in the last two, or three years, maybe four years, have been hijacked by these people who believe the exact opposite of what I believe. I believe in socialism. So I believe in economic growth. I'm opposed to wars. But I believe in you know working people and their rights. And these people think socialism means you know that we uh, you know we wave rainbow flags and we publicly execute anyone who's not vaccinated. And I don't agree with those folks. I'll tell you that much.
0: Right. And and I'll tell you if 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 you protested up here and put that on a sign. A lot of people up here in South Dakota would agree with you. Can you see, not that you're you're Republican, but can you see where the pro-Russian side would appeal to a lot of people who are Republican or libertarian-leaning?
10: Yes, uh, because at the end of the day, uh, I think that there is a battle in the world going on between those who believe in economic growth and those who believe that humanity has gone too far. The ultra-monopolists, the big corporations, the big oil companies, uh, they've decided that they're at the top of the world, and therefore, uh, we need to roll back human progress and stop economic growth uh, so that they can stay at the top. Whereas Russia and China, two countries that you know broke out of their global financial system and pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and, and built up their own industries, they're saying, no, we're going to keep growing, and we're going to do business with African countries to help them keep growing. We're going to we're we're help other countries keep growing. We're going to sell oil on the international markets and in competition. We're going to build our own cell phone manufacturing companies like Huawei Technologies that make better cell phones than Apple. We're going to keep growing. We're going to keep competing. And uh, meanwhile, the ultra monopolists, uh, the, the ultra rich are saying, no, we've got to stop. And there's too many people in the world. Uh, there's just too many of these people in the world. We've got to reduce the human population. We've got to reduce consumption. Hey, global warming, guys, that's just a game. You know, you know Imagine a, uh, the, the kids' game, King of the Mountain, where one kid gets to the top and then he announces, all right, game over. I'm at the top of the mountain. That's what Wall Street is doing. But the world is going to keep going. Human beings are creative by nature. They want more than they already have. They want to advance to a higher stage, to higher forms of technology. And uh, I, I think that there are a lot of Republicans who would agree with that. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of people who are more free market oriented who would agree with that. Um, you know, one thing that's been pointed out to me is that, you know, that in Russia and China – you know, the economies are, you know, there's a lot more state involvement. I mean, Russia, you got two state-controlled energy companies that center of the economy. China, you, you know, the Communist Party and the state-run industries. But both of those countries have done a lot to build up their middle class. Their small business owners. It is much better to be a small business owner in China or Russia than it is in America. They have worked really hard to help people start tech companies to help people launch their own clothing brands. You know, they are really building up their middle class and saying, all right, in addition to our state-run, kind of socialistic state-run economy, we're going to let a middle class flourish to make our country stronger. Whereas here in the United States, we've done the opposite. We have crushed our middle class. You know, small business owners, especially since the pandemic, have just been devastated. They've been completely devastated. It's all about enriching those ultra-monopolists like Jeff Bezos, like the Walton family that runs Walmart. So it's weird, you know, the, the difference between quote unquote socialism and quote unquote capitalism gets a little bit murky in this world when countries with largely state run economies are trying to help the little guy in entrepreneurialism. And the United States, that says we love capitalism, is doing everything they can to crush him on behalf of these ultra mega corporations.
0: Well, and when you've been on a show in the past, you've put forward arguments, I, I won't say in defense because there's nothing to defend, but about China. You've made the best case for China that I've ever heard. When you've been on the show, you are a and and you've been reasonable pointing out they brought a huge amount of people out of poverty. Period. That's inarguable. Now, let me ask you one final thing uh, related to RT. You had done one of the reports that I liked most. And when RT was taken off YouTube, that was a report that you did asking people about the history of World War II and who won World War II? And very few Americans knew that it was Russia. Did that report, it was taken down when YouTube was banned. Is that report and your other reports that you've done in the past, is that stuff available somewhere?
10: Yeah, it's on my own personal channel. I have my own personal YouTube channel that I've had, you know, since, you know, I've had it for well, almost two decades. I've had my own personal YouTube channel. Uh, and so you can go to Caleb Moffin TV, Caleb Moffin on YouTube, and you can watch some of my RT reports that are still up there, including that one. Yes.
0: Yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear it because I, it was almost like a, a, you know, in some ways like a library being burned. Like, like past past material is as good as what you could count on for future coverage in some ways. So Caleb, great to having on the show. Good luck. Figuring out the PayPal thing will show sure you will persist. Thanks for your intellect and your ability to fight and your bravery. Kettle Muppin, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks to all of our callers. We had a lot of them today. And thanks so much to Jamal Thomas. Great show. We'll be back tomorrow on the Best Sam radio show in the afternoon on Sputnik. The backstory.